What's up, what's up? It's Paul. It's Shamina. And welcome to Head Boss in Charge. Yay! This is not Loudspeakers Network. <laughs> not yet. Loudspeakers Network, if you're listening to us, please right. pick us up. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to Loudspeakers. Anyways, how are you bossing? Um, I am... Uh, I'm sure most, like many other Americans, or maybe not so many based on the numbers we're seeing, still trying to recover from um, the outcome of the presidential election um, and trying to figure out what to do with all of that. Um, so yeah, that's that's generally where my mind is. Work has been pretty good, pretty quiet um, in terms of like issues, concerns. I think there's so much of like in shock of like, what does this mean for like us as humans? You know, we as employees, like the economy, you know, Russia, shit like that. So it's been a bit all over the place with like trying to think about all the stuff that is possibly going to be, you know, damned to hell come January. How you both said? Well, weed is legalized in California. This is true. Yes. Ah, yes. I'm gonna let you have that one. So there's that. As of January first, so yeah, I'm just I'll just say that. Well, let's focus on the positive. Um, California did really well, so I'm. <laughs> let's forget because I'm just really trying to put the presidential election past me and move forward. But California did really well, um, so there's a lot to celebrate in terms of the small victories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, I had to. Um, use this weekend to meditate and focus, you know, focus on the positive stuff. I had to surround myself with a lot of friends so I can have great conversations and, mm-hmm. um, process what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really nice to know that I had people who, of course, believe the same thing that I believe in, but still challenge me, um, in ways and ask me questions that will help me get over some of my stubbornness mm-hmm. around this presidential election. So I, I really have them to thank. So shout out to my friends who um, were there for me this past weekend in many different ways. Uh, but yeah, I it's a new week. I, I pressed the reset button and yeah. I'm just trying to continue my life. And uh, I don't know what the future may hold. <clears throat> uh, San Francisco has been going um, loud and proud with mm-hmm. these protests. Yeah. Um, we've had so many protests in the past week, which... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad people are speaking up. I don't participate in protests. I don't feel comfortable being a person of color with loud people around me when Mm -hmm. there are cop cars everywhere. It just doesn't, it's not a good mix, but, um, I support those people. Um, but I have to also be blunt and say, I, me doing something is, I've been doing something for the past, since I've been born. My people have been doing things since, (laughs) since the creation of time to try to help this world move further, and as the results show, really the only people who have power to change what's going on are white people, white men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I'm like, okay, not participating in those protests. It doesn't mean that I'm too good for them or whatnot, but like I said, I don't feel comfortable, and I don't think that's going to do anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, and let's see, I would, on the opposing, I don't participate either, mostly because I don't like crowds. Uh, and so the thought of it generally is overwhelm- overwhelming and it makes me a little sweaty already. Um, so that's primarily like anything that generally has big crowds. I'm like, no, thank you. I'm good. Um, but I will say that I have been amazed and um, really impressed with like the outpouring from young people. 
who are paying attention and like young people as in like I mean certainly young people who mostly anybody younger than me or and folks who can't vote but know like they're either going to be eligible to vote in the next election or th as the next election cycle begins in basically two years because there's a whole bunch of seats that are going to become open um but I've just been really impressed to see how many young people are paying attention um and are realizing like that this has an impact on their future so that and that in itself I've been like wow it's nice to see like like folks wake up and start to engage and talk about this because I think it seemed like you know everybody thought it was a done deal you know when you look at the two candidates it really should have been a done deal um but then the reality is you know upon us that it it you know the shit's just getting started for the most part so um in that sense I will see that that is a positive for me to see um kind of young people engaging uh in politics and just generally talking about it that's true I definitely have to give them props for that and really um you know, like Whitney said, the children are future. So okay. They have, <laughs> they have a, I'm glad that they're being involved now. I mean, there are middle school students and high school students. Um, teachers led, the, uh, led all their students on a citywide protest mm -hmm. um, um, the Thursday after the election. Yeah. It was all over the news. There was helicopters flying, patrolling the, um, the protests. And in a way, I thought that was super smart because it's like, these are kids. What are you going to do to kids? Yeah. You know, you're not going to... Yeah. Kill them, hopefully. Or well, gonna, well, um, okay, right. Trayvon Martin. But no, it's really smart cetera. that, you know, they got like a really vulnerable group to stand up for this. Mm -hmm. um, but I know the protest thing is a very sensitive topic. I've seen like very controversial arguments about... Like, what does it do and why? What, right. Like, it doesn't matter. For yeah. me, and I'm not afraid to put my opinion out there, is for, you know, uh, for people who have died in the past or for other kind of causes, I still believe in the nature of protests. But f but in a way, with this election, no one has died, right? Yes, something extreme has happened. And I'm not saying protests are only for people who have died. But um, it's a done deal and it's sealed. And um, I view protests, yes, they can lead to action, but I also believe in the power of protests to help people uh, go through their grieving process or go through that emotional, mental... Um, development process because mm -hmm. it is needed. It is actually therapy to mm -hmm. go through a protest. But at some point it needs to stop so that we can take those actionable steps. Like there are systems built where we can participate participate in help change laws or things like that. I, I just think going on a endless protest doesn't really help, especially in this bubble that we live in San Francisco. In a way, I feel like we are preaching to the choir. Mm -hmm. And I, what I want to do is get all of San Francisco and start pre protesting in the middle of Kentucky or Utah. Or, <laughs> right? <laughs> I won't be there. Maybe I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll say, okay, hey. But do you know what I mean? Like, I, when I look at that map of where mm -hmm. the, the country is leaning, like, in these little small urban areas like New York City, Los Angeles, yes, they're very blue, and the majority are folks who would have not liked to see De Ivanka's dad in office. So when we're protesting, it's like, who are we yelling to? <laughs> like, it's like, I want to be yelling at the people that made this happen. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you and I differ on that. While I do not participate in protests because that's too many people and it makes me anxious uh, in terms of the crowd size, I feel like it's, it's a, number one, it's symbolic. Um, uh, but I feel like people need to see that, that people are upset, frustrated. Yes, I certainly think that there's a time for action, but sometimes I wonder if this is, the way that people know how to kind of come in community and raise their voice so that the voice can be heard as a collective. 
Um, yeah, certainly at some point people are going to start to go home and no longer protest. Um, but I, I'm really appreciating it. Again, I, I, I'm too like nutsy to be in the crowd like that. Um, cause I'd be uncomfortable, but I, I certainly, I very much am appreciating like the amount of people that are out and whatnot. I think the challenge for me is I think that uh, perhaps some people are feeling, oh, I'm placing a judgment and that's, I, I'm judgy. Um, like that some folks are doing this as a, a guilt thing. You know what mm. I mean? So they're taking the responsibility of their entire community, which has happened, like, to very, speak very, like, person, like, black folks bear the brunt of, like, you know, one black person is loud, thus all black people are loud. You know what I mean? So, oh, um, I think there's a lot of guilt. And to be frank, I feel like there's probably a, a lot of white guilt um, for, if you look at the poll numbers that are coming out and the people who are actually went out and vote, like, I wonder if that's where the large, um, larger turnout out is. You know what I mean? Um, amongst white folks, um, uh, I'm not mad at it, but I'm just noticing. I'm like, oh, there's probably a level of like, we did this. You know, like let me get out here and like really raise my voice to number one, show that I don't agree with you know the person that is going to be the president. Um, but then also there's some guilt of like I have to like perhaps I have a, as a white person maybe I feel like I have to do more to to show that I'm not a part of that the other white people you know what I mean and the people right. who voted in this other way so let me you know kind of be out and loud about it so that I don't have to carry the weight of other people who physically look like me in terms of skin color and I get that and I think that is actually a good thing that the there is some guilt because mm -hmm. uh you know, uh, there was this great clip of Samantha B. She did this comedy intro um, for, I think she has her own show, right? Yeah, I think so. And um, one of her um, lines was that if Muslims have to uh, represent the actions of their mm. community all the time, then so do white people. So in a way, I, I, I don't like people feeling guilt, but I'm glad they, they know what it feels because that's the mm -hmm. world we live in. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, it's like I, when I look at these protests... <clears throat> it's actually good that the people that um, are, that they're feeling like, I don't want, I want to show that I'm not part of that majority, mm -hmm. right? Um, because that's what needs to be visible. We need to make our allies, our allies need to be more visible. Mm -hmm. um, but the the delivery of that needs to be careful because remember, it's not, I don't, protest doesn't work when you make it about yourself. Yeah. jump right into water cooler talk um i think this week we're going to focus a little bit on or a lot of bit on um just the general sentiment around mediocrity um and how that shows up in the workplace uh what do we do with it um and how do we work beyond it if that makes sense and i'm not talking about like i don't think that i'm mediocre at all so i'm certainly not talking about myself but when you encounter that with colleagues, people you report to, or people who report to you, like, what do you do with that? And how, how do you move past that if you can move past it at all? So any initial thoughts to get us going? Yeah, that word, I, based off of my personality and my upbringing, that word doesn't even exist. You know, it ex maybe for me to exist, maybe in terms of how I see other people perform, but I've mm -hmm. just been so hard on myself. Uh, I've grown up in a household where 
I have to be the best of the best mm-hmm. school. I'm like, A, 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 A. I get upset at every single small mistake. And um, that has that's still with me to this day. And I've learned to, to mold myself and not take it, take anything, take everything so seriously. But um, that that's my initial thought is I've been brought up in a way where mediocrity is not acceptable. It's not even my baseline. Like it just doesn't exist in the spectrum mm-hmm. is that I have to continuously shoot for the stars because of certain external pressures, um, society put uh, in the systems that are built to put me down as a black gay male. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, it, it now being, you know, where I am in my career, it's career, it's just normalized. It's like my baseline is excellency. And then when I think about improvement, I have to even go above that. Um, so I still have growth, but I, I set the bar really high, high for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't ever think of myself or refer to myself as mediocre, legitimately. I'm, when I think of the, some of the folks that I have, have and have worked, have currently worked with and have worked with, like, I certainly see this kind of like complacency with like just doing enough. And I think there's certainly times where, um, and oftentimes that enough is like mediocre. Um, but I think there, people have been allowed to get away with like, you know, being low achievers in the workplace um, and allowed to be mediocre. And for me, that's a real challenge, um, especially when I'm working at like the like colleagues that I have worked with um, present and in the past. I feel like that's, it's a really tough place to be if I am striving consistently to give my best work and to do my best work. And certainly I'm not going to always be like, it's not always going to fire off like a hundred cylinders a minute or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm consistently like giving my best and showing up and being really present. And then to uh, come into a work environment where people are like, oh, like, I'll do, I like, maybe I'll do it. Uh, like, what is this? Maybe I'll do like, um, or people who are like, see, for example, they see deadlines as a suggestion rather than an expectation. <laughs> I was like, these, like, this is like a deadline. Like, this wasn't like, hey, you might want to get it in or get it in quote unquote soon. I'm like, no, this was a deadline. I'm I'm paying attention to those things, and I try to set my work so that it doesn't impact p- other people negatively. Um, so, have you had any instances where you have let's see how to how to say this uh, uh, worked with mediocre people? Let's just put the shit on out there. Yeah, I I have, and some I think growing up I had to think, and this sucks that I had to think this way. It's like. Am I just being too high strung? Right. I was like, am I too much? Am, am I, I too, too much? much? Like, yeah. and should I calm down a little bit? And so that often got in the way for me where I had to make exceptions because I thought I was being a little, I was trying to monitor my sense of self mm-hmm. in order to um, make sure that I was working with groups easily because th- there are often times I've gotten to group arguments because I felt that people felt I was being too uptight um, mm-hmm. and w- wouldn't relax a little bit when it comes to completing a project. Um, now I'm now I'm proud of how I behave in those situations. But yeah, I've worked with mediocre people all the time in the workplace, or um, particularly when I was in school, I saw more of that. Um, uh, I think I have the now the um, like when I go and interview for a job, I try to. That's part of the things that I'm assessing <laughs> is: am I working with a, a team of people, or am I going to work with a team of people that is going to be on the hustle with me, mm-hmm. right? 
so I see less of it now in the workplace, but um, I, I, I think, let's see, if, if it's a peer, you know, I have to hold them accountable. Um, and it's a little harder to do when you're the boss, <laughs> when you're not the boss, I should okay, say. Okay, I was like, when you're the boss, it's the easiest. <laughs> no, it's the easiest when you're the boss, but uh, yeah, and... I, it's hard to say much about it because I kind of let it go. In the past, I've let it go, and, and I just say, well, you know, uh, as long as we can get it in tomorrow, it's fine. Um, I But in hindsight... That's it, kind of you. I know, right? It is, yeah. kind of like, <laughs> it is kind of you. Yeah, and I don't know where I'm trying to go with this, but yeah, the, the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, scroll back to 30 seconds. Yes. Um, I think I have, I would agree, like, it's, to me, it's probably the easiest as the supervisor and, like, people reporting to me to hold people accountable. Um, and that, for me, I think we talked about this an episode or two ago, like, when I meet with a, a staff member starts with me, like, first day, like, by the end of the day, you have, like, the general expectations that I have of your work, your timeliness, um, your ability to respond, like, this is what I'm expecting so that you know going in. And if not, then we're going to have regular conversations about how, like, if things are not being met or if I'm seeing that things are coming through lazily or consistently late or I'm getting feedback that your work is, you know, lackluster um, given your position or your role. Um, so I think that uh, it can be really hard with uh, colleagues. And I will look at the span of my career, a decade plus uh, working full time. It is, it's been hard to... Um, I don't want to say idly sit by, but I have a really difficult time. Like if I am like showing up, I'm doing my shit, like I'm meeting, if not exceeding deadlines, I'm communicating with my supervisor. And then I'm working with people who like, again, take deadlines as suggestions or are not communicative or are doing things that are this, that, and the other. And like our group is like not feeling cohesive. That's really hard for me. And because at some point, like if we are a group, if we are a team, like, I don't want people to see my, like, our general team as mediocre. Because then they'll try to put me in that category and it's mediocre. Um, I've also been in the position of, like, I will, I try to consistently give my best work and be communicative. And then people say, like, you're doing too much. Like, you <laughs> like, as a state employee, you're doing too much. You're making us look bad. And I'm like, really? Because this is about, like, this is a reflection of me and who I show up as an employee. So I was like, really? Really? Maybe may you should look bad because you need to, call, right? you need to, you know, why would I lower myself? Exactly. I'll come up together. Yeah. So I've had a, probably the most difficult time with, um, colleagues over again, my career. And thankfully I haven't had a, a ton, but I've had enough to make me think like, okay, I don't want to align myself with their work, mm -hmm. especially if it's going to, if I've seen it be shoddy, like, why would I kind of engage in that work with them? Yeah. So. I mean, I still have a long way to go, of course, in my career, and uh, I can think of more times being in an environment where we're all raising the bar really high, mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I couldn't really speak to it, but I do have a lot more to say in terms of just opportunity, mm -hmm. um, mediocre people just getting better opportunities than I, oh I do, and it's yeah. really annoying. Mm -hmm. um, I see it when I apply to jobs all the time. I see it when I compare my resume to people, other people's resumes. I see it based off of pay. Mm -hmm. I see it based off of 
just a lot of things. I, th- I feel like when I walk into a room, I actually have to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been on the interview side, and when I see a white man walk in, and I hear the, the comments, like how people evaluate them, it's like, mm-hmm. why are you judging this person on like their charisma and mm-hmm. how they spoke and all these right? like untangible things? Ugh. But the, the Asian woman, you're like, oh, they had poor these kind of skills. Yeah. And you're... It's like your measure of evaluation is totally off. Yeah, it's flawed. Um, because you're, you're evaluating people based on, like, subjective standards. Like, because a person... Like, I can hear you say, like, a person comes in with bells and whistles, and they're all like, oh, sprinkling glitter everywhere. But then there's no substance behind what they do. Or if there is, they sure as hell didn't talk about it in the interview. Um, but you got wooed by the thing that was right in front of you. Like, you know, again, throwing glitter in your face, as opposed to the, like consistent person who does hard work maybe they don't make you laugh or feel warm and fuzzy inside but i'm going to work to like produce product get work done support people um not to like have this glittery feeling like on the inside when i leave so i can float off into you know Mm -hmm. to go home so i certainly hear you in like especially looking at that avenue of it um let's see uh, have you ever been in a position where you've had or worked with like supervisors, um, knowing that maybe you report to one person, but maybe there's like a leadership team where you've seen that kind of play out and you've had to, um, I guess what have you done with that? If you've seen it. So just having a mediocre supervisor or yeah, a mediocre or super, me, Mediocre or supervisor team. So. Oh, uh, so it, it's frustrating mm-hmm. when it's like, but I could do your job better. (laughs) It's like, why am I not just doing this myself? Because it's like, I do all this work and I go to your office to say what I've done, but it's like, you don't even care. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. cause you're still like five steps behind. Um, this kind of goes into like that whole managing up talk we Mm, did. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like, I I hate that I do this, but I kind of just put up with it. Mm. Um, and I think I, um, I get stuck in these little, avenues because of the systems that's placed like the racial system that's in place like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go step up on my like supervisor when um I probably could get trouble for that so I I kind of just take a modest approach yes I'm in my feelings about being with a messy boss um but I have to do a little bit of that managing up mm-hmm. and um uh maybe coaching if you will but mm-hmm. in a very like subtle way mm-hmm. um to get through those situations that's funny because I have, um, and I'm sure part of this is a byproduct. I've just had probably had more supervisors just generally, um, having been on the planet longer. Uh, but I have found such a value, and it certainly takes a finesse, and I haven't been able to do it with everybody because not everybody probably would respond. So there's a, a reading of you know other people that you have to be in tune with. But I have found probably the most meaningful of my supervisors, um, and maybe they weren't mediocre. I've certainly had mediocre supervisors, um, but. I have found myself, like, being like, look, we have to have a, like, I'm struggling and this is what I'm struggling with. Because mm. I'm also, I also want to learn in a job and I want to be developed in a job. Because I can certainly do the, like, I just, I can email you the updates whenever. And if we don't talk, yeah, we don't talk. Uh, or if we don't have meaningful conversation, yeah, I still get my check um, and my benefits. But in positions that I feel like I have invested and I want to learn and I want to grow, I'm like, look, I, I want to, like, if we're having a like a one-on-one conversation, I want to be developed and like me coming in with just a checklist, which is generally how like if I've had a mediocre supervisor, they just want like the check, 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 check. Okay, anything else? 
Um, not like, how you doing? Like, how do you feel like you're growing in this area? Are you getting better at this? Are you struggling? Um, I've had to have a real conversation with them about like, these are some of the things that are helpful for me because I want to grow and I want to do better at this, you know, than when I came into this position. So us just going through a checklist of stuff isn't helpful for me. This is what I need. And it's really been specific to the job in terms of what I feel like I need. And those change over time, you know, but I'm like, if I don't say anything, then I, I want, I don't feel like I'm being able to like grow for myself for whatever the next position is, you know, and it's fine if you're mediocre and like, uh, insert eye roll, then perhaps I need to get that from somewhere else, you know, leadership, guidance, mentorship, whatever. Um, because, I, but I, I have to, I find that I have to communicate it or I'm just like pissy. Like if we have to have a conversation, cause then I feel like I'm like, I'm managing you. So give me part of your check. So. Right. You have to speak up for yourself yeah. and guide that conversation. I think uh, a lot of us in all our industries, if we want to be successful, a sign of that success is moving up a ladder. But naturally, moving up the ladder sometimes require, requires you to supervise people. And what's mm -hmm. interesting is that you were appointed that position because of the skill set or the expertise you have. But supervision within itself is a skill area that not everyone has. Yeah. But you're going to be placed in that position anyway because... You know, you're the VP of Human Resources. You're, or maybe that's a bad example. Yeah. I hope you would yeah, be good I was at. Like, um, I hope you would be good at supervision <laughs> if you're the VP of Human Resources. But let's say you're the VP of op Operations, or you're the the VP of like, or you're the CFO. You were appointed those positions because you have years of experience. You know how to work with money. You know how to like whatever with operations. But some people just suck at supervising yeah. people, and it's just like something mm -hmm. that they want to removed from their portfolio, mm -hmm. but they can't. So if you have people on your team that are looking for that kind of professional development, or even even you might be mislabeled as mediocre because you're, you might be great at everything else, yeah. but you suck at supervising people. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's one of the funny things. Like, there's a lot of people with technical skills. Like, you have all the technical, like, you've done the job for, well, my thing is, like, just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean that mean that you're good at it, because you could have been doing it shitty the whole time, yeah, and no one's told true. you anything. Yeah. Well, and but, mediocre. Yes. All yes. these white guys jumping from jobs to jobs, Ugh. and no one's there to check them. Yeah. No Because they just keep moving to the next one. Right. Um, but I, I think the, uh, the, um, the piece around supervision, there's so many people who are technically good at what they do. Like, they have the skill set, they can manage the, do the system stuff, but, like, the the working with people is like robotic and they don't know how to do it. But right. the, those folks get elevated because they have a technical skill set. Right. But really they should be individual contributors, like like highly paid individual contributors because those are the people that you do not have to worry about. Mm -hmm. They will get the stuff done. They will lead you into the next phase of whatever your business or organization needs. But them managing people is going to be frustrating for them because they're not doing the thing that they probably like um, in terms of the technical pieces. Um, and you've shoved them into this leadership role when they're like, I just want to like, I just want to do hard work and focus on this. But you're like, oh, you're so great at this specific skill. Let me put you in front of in charge of people who do this skill, you know, all day. And I think that's sometimes where the mediocrity can rise. Because I've certainly seen people who are good at like several things. Um, and then they get moved into a leadership role or a manager role to like oversee other people and they're frustrated. They end up leaving because they have just been taken away from the thing that they are really good at. Right. So. Um, this happened to one of my friends who uh, used to work at this startup that is unfortunately showing the signs of going under. 
But um, I think this happens a lot in the startup culture because, um, you know, these startups are started by these late 20, early 30-somethings. Yeah, I'm the founder. Oh, now I'm the CEO. I don't know how the, how the fuck to be a CEO. Yeah, what does that and, mean? Right. And so I've, you know, I've heard these stories from um, uh, my roommates. Like, yeah, they had the technical skills on that CEO side, but they sucked at leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, this person ended up, ended up becoming super, super uh, micro, um, or did a lot of micromanaging. Okay. Uh, to the point where the morale of the place just completely dipped. And mm-hmm. that's contributing a little bit to why it's going under. But um, yeah, I wish in a way almost, if you think about organizational organization management, um, unless you have like great leadership qualities, and I'm, I guess I'm thinking about just senior cabinet level positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like you need two of you. You need someone who um, can do the, sk- like the technical skills, and then you need someone who can appeal to the masses, who yeah. can uh, talk the talk, walk the walk, and you know have great strate- strategic foresight and build those reports and all of those things because I, I don't, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't matter how, you know, advanced you are, everyone's looking for a little bit of support Mm -hmm. and professional development and growth. Mm -hmm. We're not robots here. We're people. No matter what industry you're working in, we need to kind of be there for each other. Yeah. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, not everyone has the innate ability to be a leader. And so sometimes that shadows your um, performance. Yeah. Well, when you say that, I think of like how when like we both interview people regularly, I'm sure Um, there's something about those hard in the soft skills and like there has to be almost a combination of those like I don't want a bot a robot to come in and just do x y and z I need you to be able to talk to people too Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the that's a skill set that's really undervalued I think it's maybe getting a more a little bit more of the limelight with we talk about vulnerability and like you know putting yourself out there faking it till you become it etc but it's the the soft skills piece that lets me know that okay I'm working with a person here and if I'm having, like, they can relay an information, like a technical piece of information to a human being. Right. You know, right. as opposed to, like, the, um, you know, they're relaying it to it as a manual, like, you do this, you do this, you click there, you do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that's certainly an underutilized um, measure of someone's potential success, you know, and hopefully out of the realm of mediocrity. But that, that soft skill stuff, and it's so hard to, like, there's certainly ways to manage an interview for that. Um but sometimes it's a gut thing of how people interact with other folks. So I had this interview once. Uh, it was for this like office manager, HR coordinator type position at a, uh, a startup, like a medium size. And one of their questions was about, uh, was alluding to the fact of how would I um, bring out the, the soft skills or the interpersonal connections from the engineering team? Because mm-hmm. the interviewer labeled them as very like robotic only cares about their work Mm -hmm. they fear any kind of social outings or office fun Mm -hmm. and how I would like develop that and I I found that question very telling because when you think about different industries and um, looking for the balance of soft versus hard technical skills it seems that especially for like an engineering team they may not even care about soft skills Mm -hmm. but even if you're in my opinion even if you're an engineer you're still part of the company you like, how can you yeah. make any progress without any kind of interpersonal yeah, skills? Right. Like, that's super important. And so, um, um, yeah, I digress because that speaks a lot to just how those folks are raised in their industry from mm-hmm. school 
um, onto the the workforce. Yeah. So I just think it's, it's just an interesting thing to think about, like the people who we see as mediocre, because they're usually, I mean, most people are good at something, right? Yeah. You would think, you would hope. Um, but then they get pushed around into these places where they don't get a chance to, to shine and to thrive. Mm-hmm. And because money is helpful um, and prestige and titles are helpful, then people are like, oh yeah, I want to do that. And then they realize like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Or they continue doing it and they are mediocre at it. So, right. Have you ever been in a situation where... Uh, because of someone's status, so you can take race, money, gender, all those things, where they are so, one, they're so up high in the ladder, right? Mm -hmm. They've been at the organization forever. No matter how bad they perform, no matter how how many anecdotes are floating around the organization, (laughs) they can never get fired. And I've seen that, and it gets me so mad. It's like, how many receipts do we have to show right. for some for the because they you know they're up high? It's like for the president or for the HR to go to this person and say you're gone. Yeah. Because I've seen situations where yeah we may be at will, but for some reason this person is so protected, everyone's scared. Of yeah. Well, I this think it's, it's the fear of like I don't know if it's the fear of like what are they gonna do to me if they found out that I wrote the letter? And I was like, well, what they gonna do? What they gonna what you gonna do? Mm. Um. But yeah, I don't under yes, I certainly work with those folks currently and have in my past. Um, I don't understand. Um, but I'm like, what letter do I need to write? What memo can I fill in to kind of continually provide evidence that this isn't working? And I can't be the only a, only a party of one, but I think that's where I think people are afraid. Number one, they don't want to take the time to do that. Um, and they're afraid that the person may act like the right thing might be done and that person might be let go. I don't know why that fear exists there, um, but I think that's also a byproduct of either overworked, quote unquote overworked, or like a lazy manager who doesn't want to document issues (laughs) and like give feedback or write an accurate uh, performance evaluation. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The lazy, yeah. Yeah, so like, I'm sure like lots of people do many things to warrant being, you know, reprimanded in some capacity. But you have to have people there who who um, are committed to giving like participating in a cycle of feedback mm-hmm. um, and giving people an opportunity to do better. Because like it is difficult to get somebody, you know, um, terminated for like one, even if they do one bad thing, like. It's usually a series of things that they've done that no one has documented. Right. So, and, uh, and then when you have time, they're like, pull together all the documents. There's nothing to pull together. <laughs> right, because <laughs> nobody wrote Probably the down. first offense was when there was no computers. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so everything's like in these old, like, brown uh, boxes. You're with funny. Files. <laughs> Go to the archives. <laughs> Go to the archives to find when they messed up. Yeah, but... Um, I have another thing to say, too. Just, like, going back to, like, how for both of us, mediocrity is just not in our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, you know, everyone who is black, I'm, like, 90% sure, 90% sure that everyone who is black was told this by one of their parents. Yes, I already know what you're going to say. You have to work... <laughs> twice. Twice! Yeah. As hard as any white motherfucker yeah. to get even too close to where they are. Um, you know, when that when that came out on Scandal, you know, Papa Pope, yeah. for me, like, it was me and all my friends saying, yes, 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 and I'm sure anyone who's not black had no idea that that was a common thing that we hear. Um, it, I mean, it's, like, in my nightmares and in my dreams, like, just, like, 
my mom constantly telling me that. And yeah, that, I just want to put that out there as, you know, that's kind of the, the world that our, you know, the parents know the world that we're being born into and it's there to protect us and they want us to succeed. My mom wanted me to succeed. I think she's living um, vicariously through me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it's so, it was so hard for her, for, um, for me to tell her that I wasn't going to be a doctor anymore. It's mm-hmm. like, like she faints it on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because for all of you listening, um, who may not even kind of relate to that, it, it is the reality of the world we live in that, um, that's why the bar, I set the bar high for myself. Yeah. Well, and I would wonder if there are other marginalized groups, um, specifically along the race, uh, the, the realm of like race, ethnicity that have heard those things. And because we both like move through the world as black people, if you will, if you will, we're black people, um, that we know it so familiar in such a familiar way. But I wonder if like pick a group, like, I don't know. Folks who identify as uh, Latino Latino or some an Asian community or Pacific Mm -hmm. Islander, like if they hear those same messages, and obviously we're not privy to those conversations or in what ways that they hear. Because I know I heard it not in those exact terms, but I certainly heard that shit real clear. That's why when you were about to say it, I was like, I know what you're gonna say, right? Um, But I wonder what other messages people hear around. You know, that's a really good question. Like I, I will just put out an example, but I would love to hear. Um, maybe you can comment yeah. on um, SoundCloud or something, what you hear in your minority groups. But I know for the Asian community, um, and I'm thinking particularly China, Korea, um, Japan, Japan okay. uh, the concept of model minority, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that pressure, because society views Asians as smart, book yeah. smart, good at classical music, um, the list goes on, right? And so I know that uh, some parents kind of cling on to that. Asian parents cling on to that when they move to America mm-hmm. and say, no, you got to be book smart. You got to read all these things. Yeah. And that's an enormous amount of pressure to feel like you have to perform at this high caliber. Yeah. Uh, so it's not exactly the same as yeah. like, you got to work twice as hard. Uh, because the assumption for the Asian community is that they already have it in them. Yeah. For us, it's like, oh, people assume that black people are yeah. dumb. They're not good at school. They're not going to get these jobs. So that's why we have to work twice as hard. Yeah. So it's an interesting comparison. Yeah, well, because I also think about, like, um, working with, you know, in the capacity I work, I work with students. I mean, most of them are coming to me because they're in trouble. But, like, I think of the folks who work report to me and they work with, like, for example, like, undocumented students or, like, um, AB 540 students who are, you know, have a certain level of documentation to go to school in this country um, and, you know, receive some form of aid, um, either at the, for the most part at the state level, like, the pressures that they go through, you know what I mean? Mm. If they are here, like perhaps their parents are undocumented or something like that. Um, and this is fresh on my mind just from the post-election stuff, like, and the potential of like what the Cheeto elect is going to, you know, possibly do. Like, I think of how much pressure they feel to like achieve and be the best. And their parents being like, you doing this for all of us here who, you know, or like we gave up our lives and pick a country to come here so that you could do better. So I wonder, like, even what the pressure is like, mm. you know, said it, said it, and said in different ways, but like, oh shit, that's some pressure too. Yeah, you know what I mean. Definitely. So just to put some some other thought around that, I'm, I'm like, I know we, I know I heard it, but I'm like, I'm sure other people heard it too, but just in different ways, or the pressure feels different on them for what's at stake, you know. Right. So any takeaway message? 
Um, don't fucking be mediocre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do better. Right? Real simple. Like Just do better. There's yeah. always room for that. And if you're not if you don't know how to do better, ask somebody, like, how can I be doing better? Like ask for feedback. I say that so often to people. I'm like, well, when's the last time you they said I was doing great. When's the last time you asked for feedback? Oh, I should do that. And I was right. like, Yeah, you should, because how how do you know if you're getting better? Like, you have no barometer from which to measure, like, you know, good from better to best. You know what I mean? So yeah. Alright. Do better. So let's take a break. Okay. going to get into our ask a boss segment um again if you have questions that you want us to respond to um on the air please email us at headbosspodcast at gmail.com that's h-e-a-d-b-o-s-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com and we will get to you soon all right so for this week um kind of keeping in a bit of the spirit of politics and all the stuff that's going on around that um, we got a, a question from a listener. Um, it was a two-part question, uh, kind of the similar meaning, but is the political personal and is the personal political? So, thoughts. Is the personal political is the political personal. I have more things to say about the second half of the question. Is the personal political? Is that what it was? Saying? I think so. Answer whichever okay, one you want. So, is the political personal? Um... I, yeah, I mean, that, it's hard to say because, I mean, we can think about politics in terms of, you know, the election and that kind of stuff, but we can also just think about politics in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when, um, you know, we, for a while now, I think it, um, there's always been caution about talking about politics in the workplace. Uh, I believe, um, yeah, I think I said this before that, Political affiliation is a protected class. Is that true? I don't know. When you said that, I was like, I'm going to have to do some research. Um, you keep talking. I'll use Maybe not a, a protected class, but I often see political affiliation. Sorry, I'm digressing, but I have to say it. Uh, that, uh, you know, when um, people put out those inclusion statements or diversity inclusion statements, and they say, we do not discriminate against race, sex, gender, mm -hmm. creed. Political, affili like, political affiliation is usually thrown into that mix is of, it like, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyways, politics is always something very sensitive. And um, because of that, because you can link politics to someone's beliefs and morals, which are personal, and that can get, get in the way um, of not just relationships in the workplace and productivity, but it can also get in the way of friendships and relationships. Like some people completely dissociate themselves with people with... Um, opposite views. So I do say that the political can get personal. Um, sometimes the political can just be facts. But right now we live in a world where politics has a lot to do with feelings and mm -hmm. ethics and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to think of it as two separate things. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you. I think, um, I do think, especially right now, the political is personal because there's so much impact that but politics and like the decisions that are made have the potential to impact the person, you know, the human being, like, you know, the way that you move about the world, the world or the way that you don't move about the world. Um, 
what you have access to, what you don't have access to, um, some of the, the daily things that we perhaps right now take for granted, I think they can be, uh, again, given where we are, you know, here today, like they have the ability to um, be really personal. Um, I think about some of the uh, some of the immigration, potential immigration, we can call it quote unquote reform that is, you know, perhaps down the pike. Political, absolutely, but really personal and really like really close to people's heart and may have some huge impacts on how people live their life and if they can live their life in this state or this country or things like that. Or um, talk about like same-sex marriage. Like that certainly is a super political thing, just, you know, despite what Cheeto like said, it's like, he's like, I'm not going to change it. That was decided by the Supreme Court. Yeah. We also didn't think that you were going to put like KKK guy in as your chief of staff and senior advisor. So those, ple those things, like they're super personal. Um, and when you said that, I, I don't know that uh, political affiliation is a protected class because you can more easily change and choose that. Than, that's true. You know, Maybe that's, yeah, sorry. Protected yeah. class is not the right term, yeah. but I do see that a lot in terms of like, uh, uh, equal employment opportunity yeah. Yeah, statements. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's just one of those like taboo things that you're not supposed to talk about at work because you don't know where people lean to. So most people don't talk about that at work. Um, from my experience, this, again, this election cycle has been vastly different than that. Um, because like, I think, like you say, it's like, can be super polarizing right now. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly think that political is personal. Whether the personal is political, I don't, I don't know that to be, true at this point um i'm also having i mean from definitely from my standpoint like if you're gonna bring in um things about like my race <laughs> and yeah. my sexuality um some people uh who are are in the more privileged places might think that actually is more personal mm -hmm. but you could i can easily take something that's really personal yeah. um and make it political because um I think whenever you talk about race, gender, religion, and all those things, um, that uh, there are definitely political consequences. Yeah, but I think there's so much to be said about like the privilege of, you know, that comes along with that, depending on like how privilege plays out for you or doesn't play out, or if you choose to see the privilege that you have, I think that can kind of lean one way to being more personal versus political. Um, but. Ooh, privilege is a whole nother thing that, oh, that, that's another, not <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's a whole nother topic that we don't have time for today. Um, but yeah. Alright, so I'm just gonna <laughs> dive right into my bitch ass boss. Um, there are there are a lot of bitch ass bosses in the past week, but mm -hmm. I'm just gonna um, talk about so uh, Shamina and I went to see Issa Rae. Oh um, yeah a couple weeks ago. Um, she was here to do a talk. Uh, just just a yeah, a sit down talk. Um, interview uh with um a moderator and then opening it opening it up for questions so i was really excited um she was awesome obviously Issa Rae is not my bitch ass boss because she's flawless mm -hmm. uh but my bitch ass boss goes to the fucking moderator who <laughs> had zero knowledge about Issa Rae she did not read the book mm -hmm. 
she did not even watch one second of the TV show. Yeah. Really had no context to actually how great this woman is. Some might say she was mediocre. Oh. To stick with the theme. Maybe we should give her this episode. Maybe right? we should just slide this in into her DMs. Hey, listen to this. Um, I, I was just really frustrated because... Um, she was asking very inappropriate questions. Not inappropriate questions, meaning they were, um, you know, super negative. They, they just were boring questions. Mm-hmm. Things that we either already knew, because everyone in the audience loves Issa Rae. So we knew a ton about her, but we were ready to engage in conversations about race and gender and um, the world that she lives in in Hollywood and how it was to you know, be executive producer Mm -hmm. and actor, Mm -hmm. right? There's just so many things that we were ready to talk about. Very intellectual conversations. And this person asked very super, uh, superficial um, and just not in-depth questions. Um, Things like, so, uh, well, first of all, this is how she spoke. (laughs) So, like, like, tell me about your, like, process. And, like, like not only about the process, but tell me about the tools that you use to outline and all this fluffy language and very, very white and very... It's just, like, it's a... Uh, this is how I imagine, like, if we were to... Uh, if we're in this very small, like, Engli- um, English literature circle, <laughs> right, interviewing, like... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, <laughs> Oscar Wilde. It was so dumb. And, the, but her questions would also be like, so I heard you journaled. Yeah. Did, did, you use a, um, did you use a pen? Did you write it with Did you your actually hand? write it by hand? Like, ask dumb questions like that. I swear, the aud- I was in the back. The audience was so loud, very disgruntled. Like, we were hella rude and heckling the moderator. And then halfway through, Issa Rae, us not thinking she could hear us, like, turns to the audience. We're in this, like, big auditorium. And she's like, are y'all going through something? And the whole audience cracked up. And we're like, yes, please just skip to the questions. Right. Skip to the Q&A. Like, the audience just wants to talk to you. Um, but unfortunately, we wasted, like, a good 40 minutes yeah, out of the hour. Easily. Um, on just stupid questions. And then finally we got to the Q&A. And the Q&A, which was, like, 20, 15 minutes long, was the the great part of the yeah, night. Yeah, even though she had difficulty reading the questions. Right. Oh, oh right, she did. <laughs> she could like, not um... even read. Or, like, she didn't even filter through the... They were on little index cards, and um, she'll just go on to the next one, and the next card would actually be the same exact question. Yeah. But she didn't, like, pre-read them and filter through, or remember that we asked that question, like, five days ago. hmm Oh, my gosh. So, I, when I got that survey and the email saying, right. rate your experience... You asked the wrong ones. Yeah. So that was my bitch ass boss. Bye. Bye, girl. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Bye, Becky. Um, so I have a boss ass bitch. Um, and it's gonna roll back to um uh our first lady Michelle Obama. Because the the grace with which she embodies what a first lady I think should be and what we envision as like the first lady of the United States and how they should act and how all of these shoulds is like how they should engage with people and how they should fire people up in a good way, how they should, you know, like what activities or whatever they're involved in or foundations. Um, the amount of disrespect that she puts up with is insane. Um, the most recent being, I think it was like, I don't know if it was today or if it was yesterday. Um, I think a mayor in the, uh, the state of either Virginia or West Virginia, I, I want to say it was West Virginia, um, 
wrote on her Facebook. Now, this is a mayor. Um, she wrote on her Facebook that she is so glad to have a, to be getting a real, essentially a real first lady and not an ape in heels. Yes. What? And then another, like a member of her staff commented and was basically like, yep, you're right. Like I'm, I'm co-signing on this shit. And I was like, the first lady has such restraint um, and lists of things that she could say because she could sw squash the, the woman like thumb like down in dirt. Because um, they also, somebody found a picture of this mayor. Um, and I believe it was the mayor uh, that had wrote this. And uh, she's no ability to say anything um, because bum, bum bitch number one. Um, but the way that the, the first lady, I'm sure she won't even respond to it. But just the amount of disrespect that she gets is, like, unfathomable. Like, and we have, like, I'm not even going to talk about the other person that's about to, you know, play the role of the first lady, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just, like, I'm continually, continuously in awe of her. And she's also on the cover, I think, of maybe Vogue. Oh, she had a farewell cover. Okay. Um, it, mm, I don't know if it was Vogue. Okay. It was some major maybe. magazine. And those... Uh, those photos, my goodness. I only saw four of them because I saw, like, I just scrolled through it on, uh, somebody had posted it on Facebook. I'm like, why are we not giving her as much credit as she deserves? First of all, Ivy League education, so she's no slump, like, mentally. Like, she's gorgeous. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful, but, like, body is banging. Like, I'm just saying, like, her arms, like, we all saw that picture with the sway back of her and Barack <laughs> looking at each other in front of that window. But, like, she slays and... I'm, I again, I'm, I continue to be in awe of like how she represents um, America, um, even though it has treated her poorly um, and her husband and her family and her kids. Um, but yeah, she's just such a role model and she's like keeps it classy. Um, I'm uh, a tinge annoyed when people keep saying that when we go, when they go low, we go high. Cause I was oh like, can you just leave her to say that? Can she yeah. just have something? Um, but yeah, it's been. Yeah, I, I, I am proud to call her my first lady. And she will essentially be the only first lady that I kind of, you know, certainly connect with. Because especially where we're about to go now with, yeah, anywho. But yeah, boss ass bitch, uh, first lady Michelle Obama slaying every day. Like, yeah, nothing but respect for her. Uh, certainly a friend of the podcast. So first lady <laughs> Obama, please let us know when you have the ability to do a sit down. We'll come to you. Um, right, right. and make that happen. So. Our people will call your people. Right. Um, or basically, if you give us a date, we'll show up. Uh, but yeah, friend of the podcast. So yeah, that's Great. my favorite week. All right. That was, uh, um, thanks for ending that on a positive Yeah, note. she we slays. Ugh. Ugh. I wish somebody would say something about her. Please. I wish that bitch would. <laughs> right? Uh, so thanks for listening all um, before we say bye we just want to make sure that you're connected to us 24-7 so remember of course our email is headbosspodcast at gmail.com you can also find us on Facebook by searching for headbossincharge uh, we're also on Twitter please interact with us by looking for us um, our handle is at headbosspod that's P-O-D 
And then, of course, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, we're on um, iTunes as well. So please subscribe to our iTunes page and leave comments, rate us. We really want to see how we're doing. Give us feedback. We're not afraid of it. We're not mediocre. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Any last words? No, just thanks for listening and have a good one, y'all. Bye. Got one twenty-five on the dash. <laughs> Cause it's just another day in the life of the